So you're listening to this podcast. You hungry? How about a taco? And for that taco, how about Rocco's Tacos? You might be wondering, what's in Rocco's Tacos? Well, that's too bad. Rocco's Tacos. Try one. Or don't. That's not good. I'm disappointed in myself. Or odd, odd. You're frozen as hell. I mean, surely. Sure. I don't love Carrick. I just, I like listening to him talk. Mine didn't come until this morning, but I want to give big ups to, I've already forgotten his name. Odd and that's not a word. So, uh, the bitch ho. This guy, Matt, because his name is Matt. What the hell is going on? So, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Episode number four, numero quattro. We have... CEB Weingarten here. That's what we're going as now. Matt Hornick on the other end, looking like Nacho Libre. Um, we want to thank all of our fans That's very so far accurate. for the support. That's pretty yeah, accurate. You are. I mean, we're both, we both got the poofy hair going. Uh, we'll send out a pic. It's the error. It's the error of long hair. It Until is. barbershops open, and I feel comfortable entering one, which is months from now. Uh, yeah, we're. It's the it's the error of long hair. Until I buzz it, June first. Within the sections of lettuce at the grocery store. Next to Caesar and spinach and baby kale, there should be a quarantine, a bag that says quarantine. And it's just people's hair from their cuts when they get back. That's Connor's first awful food joke of the pod. Uh, Six more coming. We just I want to thank uh, all our listeners so far. We've made it to episode four, Horn. According to Anchor, our podcast host site, our audience is 43 large. Shouts to Anchor. No, the, it's no, very easy to use, 43, and I like it. It is easy. Are you I trying like to claim pod. that we have 43,000? Listeners? No, I mean, I was trying to make another bad joke, but you cut me off like always. Just I'm kidding, sorry. I always cut you off. That's a, that's a shot. We're doing a thing now when we cut each other off. We have to do shots for the next episode. If you have any other punishment ideas, tweet us. Yep. Sounds like a good plan. Hopefully everyone tweets us. Continue to listen. You know, the spiel, rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Tell your cousins. Tell your grandparents. Parents, if you want. Your Maybe don't tell your others. grandparents. Tell your grandparents. We could we could use some wisdom in our audience here. I, I just, you know, let's keep growing this thing. We're in it for the clout. We actually discussed a couple of days ago switching our category as a chance to sneak into the top 200 of the podcast rankings on Apple Podcasts. So we are now a society and culture podcast. So take that in. Yeah, but, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be on the chart soon. So it was episode seven and eight of the uh, Michael Jordan doc, The Last Dance this week, episode five out of six of Listen to Your Heart. And, you know, we're going to keep milking this thing for all it's worth, Horn. This episode was like, took the competitive side of MJ from the last couple episodes and brought it to the court. We saw his relationship with his teammates, how they felt about him, how he felt about them, a little baseball mixed in, a lot of good stuff. What's your uh, top line takeaway? I would. Episode seven and eight. I can't tell you what I would do just for footage of that punch on Steve Kerr. Like, I just, I would, that's great, that's great footage they couldn't get. It's a shame. Or or they didn't want to, yeah, they probably didn't have it. No, they, they would have. The story goes what, that Steve Kerr puts his head into Jordan's chest, and then he, the way Jordan said it, he was like, yeah, I hit him in the eye, but I wonder if it was a punch or a slap or a... I think hit him in the eye is a punch. All right. I'm I took it as a punch. punch. Did you did you have the like the thought I had where, you know, the way this keeps stacking up, it's like MJ he's frustrated there with Jed Bushler and Steve Kerr because they kind of have this attitude 
you know, that they, they did all this winning, even though they weren't really a part of, they weren't a part of those first three championships. This is after MJ comes back from retirement, correct? Yes. So he has this attitude, they have this attitude that like they were a part of this winning team. So, you know, they're kind of moseying around, goofing off in practice. MJ clearly doesn't like that. But do you think he should pick on someone his own size? That's kind of the kind of the thing I was thinking. Jed Bushler's kind of his own size, or he's at least taller than bigger than Steve Kerr. But uh, eh, I think Bushler no, I, I don't. Him, I don't need that. I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe don't. I don't necessarily don't punch your teammates in the face. I wouldn't endorse that ever. But do you feel like though between between Steve Kerr and Scotty Burrell, who seem to be the the main guys, he really gets into? I've like, never heard some, of that guy, by the way. You hadn't before this yet, neither had I, no. obviously. Uh, no relation to Pat Burrell, great Philadelphia Philly. But uh, Burrell went to UConn. He was, like, really good. And then he has he has a couple big moments. The documentary does this thing a lot where they, like, take a particular moment. And I think sometimes it has a dimension of truth to it, and then they kind of – maybe they don't stretch it. Maybe it's completely true, and I'm just an idiot. But, like, they take all the, the abuse Burrell took from MJ – and then they they have a flash of a moment. I think he scores 24 points in an important game, maybe a playoff game. And then they're like, yeah, you know what? MJ pushed these guys' buttons so that they would step up in big games. We know Steve Kerr had big moments down the stretch. So I think it's that push and pull of, like, MJ getting after these guys because of his singular focus on winning versus him kind of just being a dick versus him picking on these guys because he knows there's nothing they can do about it. Like, Charles Barkley was on Levitard this week, and he said— like, him and, him and MJ have a feud. Like, they haven't talked in a while. Their relationship isn't good. Um, and Barkley, like, says it's probably not going to be repaired. But he has a ton of respect for him. But he also says, like, MJ could have never pushed him around the way he pushed around Steve Kerr. I'm not sure that it's as, as like, singular in the way that he did it. I kind of feel like, like there was a d- dimension of, like, analysis in that, like, he knew that he could treat people kind of differently. Steve Kerr said that he's a very patient person. And no disrespect to Scottie Pippen. But Charles Barkley is, is a better basketball player than Scottie Pippen is. And so I don't think that Michael, if they were teammates, would have needed to treat Charles that way because Charles kind of already brought that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it is kind of funny because there's like there's clearly some tension between Pippen and Jordan like in the earlier years, like when Pippen's sitting out to get that contract. And that has to do with winning as well, where Jordan's like, man, Scotty, you're being selfish, which is probably objectively true. Like he is sitting out for the purpose of, you know, contract negotiations, trying to get more money, and because he's fed up with the front office. But, like, they they do have more moments like that, and I'm almost surprised that, like, they never... It's not, like, publicized that they ever gotten fights. Because I feel like you would they would battle so much in practice. But, I don't know, maybe MJ just knew at the end of the day Scotty was always going to bring it, and he didn't have to worry about him. Yeah, I'm, I feel like it... Ha- like, maybe he did push him that same way at, the, at a younger time, but also when... When Jordan came back from baseball, like there was there was only one acceptable finish to a season, like bar none. Like the only thing that he was cool with was a championship, but the only thing he expected, which is why that he I guess they won three straight. But like so he had no patience for anything but excellence. So and what he was, was gonna get that out. And I what feel was like your knowledge on the oh go ahead. And I just feel like he was gonna continue to push those guys the way he felt necessary. And I mean they took it and it worked. I'm not going to deny that, like, that's a good motivator. And I feel like when he's, like, it's when there's some humor involved in it, like, it wasn't, like, fully that he was just, like, ripping on you. He was, like, cracking some jokes in a way. Yeah, I mean, an elite shit talker. 
Yeah, like I don't know if they were fully in malice. So it's like if you if you could take them in stride a little bit, it could it could motivate you the right way. And look, the reality of the situation is if you're Steve Kerr, like for your for the rest of your life you're tied to Michael Jordan and in all these titles because Michael Jordan is an exceptional basketball player and carried a team to all these championships. At so at some point you at some point you're okay, you're okay with it. Like you put up with a little shit and you win. Yeah. And and your legacy is how much you win. So I think he, he puts up with it. You know the payoff is totally worth it. Did how much did you know about the ninety four season? That the season where MJ's gone and, and how the Bulls do with Scottie Pippen leading the way. I thought they were better both of the seasons. I didn't know that they had the second one that they struggled more. Okay, yeah, I didn't know much about. I that knew they all. were always like a like mid tier, like mid to high tier, like four, three four seed playoff team. Well, yeah, I mean they win fifty five games in ninety. Yeah, I thought they were that both seasons. I didn't realize that Horace Grant dipped for after the first of those seasons, and they didn't have that presence. And that was a huge reel. So I, I mean, I put this at the end of the notes when they sort of bring it up. But that's a big, that's a big move for Kraus to bring in Rodman, realizing that that's another flaw. That even if they get Michael back, which I'm not sure how the time, I'm not exactly sure the timeline of that. I guess, but knowing that even if they he, they didn't have them back, but you bring in that rebounder, like that's a huge part. Like that's huge it, on Kraus. And it is, it is kind of cool for Horace Grant, like to know that he was that important to them, and then to see what he did in Orlando. Like, that's one of the, not to stray from the 94 season, but one of the things I liked about these two episodes, maybe mostly episode eight, is just, like, getting to appreciate these late mid to late 90s secondary teams in the East, and even the West. Like, the 95 Magic, the 96 Seattle Sonics, you get a peak of the 98 Pacers at the end of it, but there's a lot of just straight montage of basketball highlights, especially in episode eight, and you do get an appreciation for, like, Horace Grant, it doesn't get extended by Jerry Krause in Chicago, traded to Orlando. And then, I mean, Penny, Shaq, Horace Grant, Nick Anderson, like that's a that's a sick team that I wish I got to watch when I was a They went kid. to an NBA Finals. And some of those Sonics teams. But, like, cool for Horace Grant. He was an important part of that. And um, you know what's really cool is, sorry for cutting you off, now that I'm the one doing it a lot. What's really great knowing that is we're probably going to get that for the Jazz for this for this upcoming two episodes because that's what that's the only opponent we're yet to see. And we're probably going to get some dope Stockton and Malone interviews. I think we're going to get some good Reggie Miller early in episode Ooh, 9. Oh, sure. Cuz like the Pacers obviously don't win that series, but Reggie and Chris Mullen and Smiths and Mark Jackson good team and yeah, I'm just listing players, but I I wish I was alive to watch some of those players go at it in the East because I'm, you know, a somewhat real NBA fan. I was the guy who just bought the Penny Hardaway jersey from a Chinese website because I thought it looked cool, but you know, I appreciate the fact that he was a baller, and I appreciated getting a chance to watch all those highlights and see what the teams were like that were pushing Jordan and these late 90s Bulls team, not really to the brink, but in some cases, Orlando eliminated him in 95. So just seeing good basketball was exciting to me. And uh, by the way, I realized Rick Smith was that unidentified white guy from the Pacers that you brought up on last week's episode of the pod. Yeah, that makes me feel worse about myself. No, actually, that's better because you know what my thought was? For some reason, I thought I was like, didn't Scott Pollard make an all-star team way back when? Him and then like the other white guy I think of is Austin Crozier, who maybe was not on the Pacers, but I have that's no a idea white who guy that who is. I think of as being. The other one for me is uh, Jeff Foster. Yep. Also sounds like a name of a referee. And Troy Murphy. 
Did you have any thoughts on the triangle offense in that one year? Because they kind of mentioned like that was a a way for Phil Jackson to put it on display. Like, hey, we can do this without MJ. Like Scotty leading this triangle offense. We win 55 games. Did you take anything from that? Because Phil's only other like sample size is with Kobe and Shaq and Pau Gasol and MJ and that was the only year really where you see it. No, I, I believe else. in it. I definitely think it takes coaching to that for to make that team as good as they were. Yeah, what'd you write down? Pippen and four white guys. Oh, because there was that one clip during that was right when they mentioned the triangle offense. Uh, it's Pippen and four white guys. I thought that was interesting. It was Kerr, Paxson, Wennington, probably maybe Bushler. I should have written this down last night or two nights ago when I watched, but that's on me. It's all good. There's Those one are the more white Pippen guys moment. that I know. One more Pippen moment I feel like is worth bringing up, and you can correct me on the season. I don't know if it was 93-94 or 94-95 where they're drawing up a play late. Who are they playing in the playoffs? Where Pippen sits because Kukoc, because the play's drawn up for Kukoc? I do not remember who they're playing. But they're they're in some playoff series. It might have been the... No, it wasn't the Knicks. I don't know. It's irrelevant. You can Google it. But Scotty Pippen, had, there's this play drawn up in the huddle, and it's drawn up for Kukoc to get a shot. Pippen's drawn up to be the inbounder, and Pippen does not go into the game because he's upset that the play is not drawn up for him. And then he gets called out in the locker room after by Cartwright, which is you know, another instance of something that would be hilarious to watch in the modern NBA, like how differently that might be handled. You think about like maybe people would, I don't know, like some of the old Heat teams, wasn't there sub-tweets? LeBron tweeting about Kevin Love. Like that feels like the modern comparison for Cartwright to call out Pippen like that. Feels like a tribute to 90s basketball, something that was enjoyable to me but what did you make of Pippen's choices there the fact that he said he would do it again in the modern interview which was pretty amazing that doesn't make any sense that's amazing that he would do that first of all first of all that he would sit out like the audacity to do that my my only thing on it is I bet he we all agree that he wanted him to miss right yeah I mean yeah I feel like if he had not said that in the interview that he would have made the same decision twice may like maybe I would believe that he was still rooting for Kukoc but that's just like a Bush League move and a ba- just a bad teammate move objectively. You're oh, the best sure. player on the team and you're going to sit out. Like at the very least, you're in there as a decoy to take one of the best defenders and put him on you. Phil Jackson knows what the hell he's doing. And I, I understand like Pippen's like, this is my year. Jordan's gone. I can finally prove to everyone. I'm this walk-on, this former, what was he, like a team manager at, at a Division two school in Arkansas? NAIA. NAIA, and then he makes his way, and he's the best player finally. They win 55 games, playoffs, big moment, and the play's drawn up for this European guy who took his money on a previous contract. So I understand a little bit of the frustration, but like in that moment, I don't know. And, and then it was, I mean, I guess what I like about it is it's authentic. Like he's honest about it. I get the playoffs are different, but what about all those buzzer beaters they show of examples? that Kukoc had in the regular season. Why wasn't Pippen sitting out for those? Like, well, I get it. The playoffs yeah, are I mean, different. You know, I mean, that's kind of obvious. Like, I get the playoffs are different, but like, it, I think I think you should at least like, get your ego out of the way. Be smart enough to realize like, you should know he's done this before. Like, these plays work. Sorry. And the fact that he said he wouldn't do it again is just ridiculous. Or he would do it again, rather, because... Like, he seemed to ha- be, like, pretty remorseful during the 
documentary, but I guess not. I mean, I I enjoy the fact that we get to learn about Scottie Pippen in this way. Because, sure. Because Same as do, Jordan. I mean, Scottie Pippen earlier in his career is so fed up with the front office. This is, I mean, it feels like a month ago, but what was this, episode two, where they get into Pippen? Kind of was is a that month right? ago. Yeah, okay, so it really was a month ago, but episode two, they get into Pippen, where he sits out games. Well, no, he doesn't sit out games. Oh, he sits out some games. He moves his surgery to the summer, or was it? Yeah, he moves surgery to the season. Basically, he misses games so that he doesn't have to, so he can be free and healthy during the summer, misses games despite Jerry Krause, essentially. And it's just like a, a selfish move because he's mad about his contract, and you learn that about him, you're like, wow, okay, maybe Scottie Pippen, like, is a little bit about himself, even though the whole reason he wants his long contract is to take care of his family. So he's a good guy, but you know he has he has these selfish moments, and we see another one in a big moment. And I don't know. This is these are the things you will remember about Scottie Pippen now, other than the fact that he was this amazing, amazing second option in Chicago, had one chance to be the, the lead guy, and I appreciated the fact that his teammates, who were even just lesser role players would stick up for themselves and, and like call him out because I, I don't know that that happens today with someone of Scottie Pippen's caliber. Even if he pulls a move like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think teammates would call someone out of that caliber in the same way today. I feel like the culture is different. Don't you agree or no? I feel like for a decision that are you for a decision that egregious, because about it, if he's the best player on the team, even if the play's not drawn for him, I don't know. I feel like in 2020, there's not as many 7th, 8th, ninth guys that are willing to be the guy who stands up. I don't know. Is Cartwright the 7th, 8th, ninth guy? He's a Might. starter and a veteran. Okay. So so maybe he had the clout to do it, but I, I don't I don't think things like that happen. At least, like, we don't know about them as much. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overemphasizing the subtweet culture. If Cartwright had that, had that, had that clout. presence in the locker room. He's been, he's older. He's a, he's draftable before Pippen. He's been around. Starting center, and it's a ridiculous move. They're old enough together to both know better. And maybe even if it wasn't like a role guy, if if D'Antoni draws up the shot for Russell Westbrook and Harden's pissed and sits out, Russell Westbrook can say something. D'Antoni can say something. Like some, okay. like even if it's not like a guy that low on the team. Like yeah, someone still they'll say something. If, fix that okay maybe they would so so perhaps I'm, I'm buying in too much to the the modern softy reputation that NBA guys get I don't know well they just I don't know they express themselves more on on Twitter but also I'm not in any locker room so I'm just making stuff up the episode started off with um Kraus being interviewed or at a press conference and Craig Sager asks uh, about backstabbing in the organization and Kraus gets super offended and just walks off after answering, saying there's no backstabbing, even though he's blatantly been saying that Phil's not coming back and he's dissolving a dynasty. That probably that thought they weren't ready to be done. Do, do, do you think that was an overreaction by Kraus? Because I do. Yeah, but I, I think that's who he, who he was. I, this is what I keep doing with this show. I mean, documentary, movie, whatever it is. I keep coming back to you know these people these people keep telling us this is who they are jerry Krause, rough guy around the edges not not great with interpersonal stuff some good personnel moves i'd say 
some some questionable execution and, and motives. Um, but yeah, I think that was in his character to walk away like that. I think it's I think it was funny seeing Sager be like like a reporter like that who would bring up who would use the word backstabbing, who would be like inflammatory like that. And then I thought it was hilarious once Kraus leaves. There's some audio of an, of another reporter saying, "Nice, nice going, Craig." Like kind of joking, but you know, as as someone like yourself who's stood in media scrums before, not to Jerry Kraus magnitude, but you know, it's that little banter between reporters is funny. Shout out to Craig Sager, miss him. But also that it also makes your life pretty easy for a day because even if you might have had other semi-important things you wanted to ask him, like that's the story for the day. True. Uh, Jerry Krause gave a lot of those. I was listening to an interview with, with uh, David Falk, who was Michael Jordan's agent, and like got him on the path to Nike and like just incredibly, incredibly important agent, part of Michael Jordan's life. He was talking about how Jerry Krause, there was a press conference when they announced Jordan's uh, extension, and they were like, Krause called him like uh, a very important player, like a one of our one of our good players in the organization, and just like the way like Jerry Krause would handle these public things, just not well. And his his disdain for like a big show of affection for his best players, that's that's who Krause was. So, I was I was happy to see the Sager thing. Um, the reporter moments were cool. You mentioned like a there's a funny Andrea Kramer one. You liked watching. Well, first is he sends the press release. I'm back, and then for the official press conference when he's being welcomed back to the team. Like everyone, there's the shot of there's the table with no one there and all the reporters are waiting and then Jordan shows up and for some reason everyone just loses it. And like it's like it feels like the world's like just the building's falling over. And there's a shot of Andrew Kramer just looking so like bamboozled and just like looking back and forth like wide eyed. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, and it's another like the story about them writing, like getting to that press release. I think that involved his agent Falk as well, where he's like like Falk or, or the PR guy writes up a couple statements for Jordan he's like no nah, I don't like this and they're like fine like write your own and he writes he just writes I'm back he's like let's do this legendary and I should know this but do you know what the 30 means on press releases I didn't see the 30 the little like dash 30 they put at the bottom a lot of journalists do it in like newsletters and PR releases and things no I know what you're talking about no all right we'll have to google it because it's like a anyone who has anything to do with PR this is like knowing hold two on plus two for them let's let me go to my let me check my email I got I got press releases in my email yeah, like people put thirty in them. I don't know, but that's that's the best press release ever, right? Well, most aren't as not important. that I not that I have a historical knowledge of press releases. Well, I mean, just think about the biggest events that would have press releases. Is any handled better? No. A lot of them start with the word today. A lot of them are just written pretty boring. Like that's just legendary. I'm you back. finding anything on on this thirty? Uh. I feel like local government press releases aren't the place I should be looking, and that's mostly what I have. So, all right. Well, moving on. the The main point of like a lot of this episode is Jordan's retirement from basketball. His dad goes missing for three weeks; is found murdered. There are certain columnists that tied that to that tried to tie that to a gambling thing, um, and then that had, there's another mistrust between Jordan and the media after that. He goes to play minor league baseball for the White Sox, who are also owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. They have to put him in double A because they don't have enough capacity for the press that he needed that was following him. So they sent him to double A. Um, and then, I don't know, all this is after his dad dies. 
you get you get a lot of emotional Jordan in this. You see a lot that he really was close with his father, that he was at just about every game he ever played. He talks about being nervous his first game back. When he comes back, when his dad's gone, a lot of that a lot of that was pretty good stuff. What'd you what'd you make of it? The minor you can touch on any of it. The minor leagues, the dad stuff, wherever you want to go. I it never dawned on me how impressive it was to hit like barely hit two hundred in double A baseball after not playing baseball for fourteen years. Like it never I never crossed my mind that how great of an accomplishment that is. And it's incredible. Like it really. Big ups to that guy. He had a hit streak in there too, right? Thirteen game hitting streak to start the season because he was getting fastballs. And then no one threw him a fastball. Oh yeah, then they start with the curve. But wait, how excited were you when you saw Terry Francona? Because I got like this huge smile on my face. I had no idea because it just makes it good. It makes it kind of cool that there was at least one other prominent baseball person in on that team. Because it seems like he didn't. I wonder who's if there were any players that they couldn't get that we like we would know. We gotta get research on that. But like as as a big Yankee fan, I should not have the love for Terry Francona that I do. But I, I I don't know. I can't describe it. He's one of those guys that just makes me smile. Got a big big lip, big lip in. Seems like a really great guy to play for. Got a cool nickname. Fun fact about Connor: uh, he's a he's a chewing tobacco enthusiast. So anyone who's of the dip life, that's bullshit. I've I've never had chewing tobacco. I did like big league chew, which was like fake chewing tobacco and gum. Foam. That's great stuff. Do you, did, you, what, did you have a flavor you preferred? Um, I like the grape. There okay, was like lime? The there was lime? Or was it sour apple, the green one? Yeah, that would make more sense. I think yeah, I like sour, sour apple. apple. Yeah. Had you seen um, the Jordan Rides the Bus 30 for 30? Because I have not, so I don't, I have not I don't know a lot of the Jordan details of the minor leagues. I have not. Good. Good. Glad I asked that question. I didn't really have many takes on the minor league baseball thing. That was my it's only major like, one. It just is like a seismic thing that I can't imagine ever happening. Like as as you try to draw modern comparisons to things, someone I think there was a quote um, in one of the commercials where they had like a they would have they'll have celebrities like with quick sound bites like in and out of the breaks where they, I think they had Jeremy Piven saying, "Yeah, Michael Jordan retiring from the NBA to go play minor league baseball. That's like Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like that's impossible." <laughs> I saw, I think it was Charlotte Wilder tweeted, nobody asked you, Jeremy Piven. Someone asked him, so she's wrong there. Thank you, Connor. You're welcome. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool that he just wanted to just be his, be, uh, be one of the guys on the minor league team. Cause that's just so wild. Like just imagine like being on that team and trying to like, just be a minor league baseball player and you're just kicking it with Michael Jordan. Yeah, and I th- I think they mentioned like he buys this souped up, eh, not souped up, but a nicer tour bus for the players. Yeah, that was like a yeah a little bit better. And I yeah, I mean the perks of having him on your team. It's probably, Are we saying Reinsdorf really couldn't have done that? Couldn't have done what? Got them a nicer tour bus? Yeah. I don't think so because that's the same guy who like was stern on not renegotiating Scottie Pippen's deal over like a few million bucks. And just like being so principled about that, so I don't think he's gonna waste but money that's a on bus. a double A baseball team. Fair. I don't know. MJ had so much money. Think about sure. like the, the shoe deals and stuff he was coming off of. Yeah. Well, they were, and they made Jordans even when he wasn't. What he like didn't play in. Like there are models that still came out in those that like those during that time. 
Sure. And it, it absolutely helped that he was, like, having a 13-game hitting streak and performing. Not like he was some all-star raking 400 or hitting home runs, but it's not like it's not like he's Tebow, like, sucking it up. You know what I mean? Tebow, I feel like Tebow's hitting around 200, right? Or is he hitting worse than that? Yeah, maybe he did all right in double-A. But uh, how much bigger or, like, Jordan-esque following do you think he would get if he was – if his minor league team he played on was in the South? It was. It was in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, before the Mets? Before the Oh, you're talking team? about Tebow. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, No, if Tebow was in the South. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe more people at games. But I don't know how much bigger... I don't know how much bigger it could have got. I don't know. Like, maybe the SEC network would have done more cool stuff with it, but I, like, I don't think it was going to have more headlines than it already did. But I see your point. What'd you think of... His his return to baseball, where it's like B.J. Armstrong sees him walking around. Return I forget to baseball? where they were exactly. His return to basketball. Did I say baseball? Yes. All right. Well, you you know, thanks for correcting me. So his return to basketball, where B.J. Armstrong runs into him, and he's like, "Hey, just come by practice. Like the guys would like to see you." And then they play a little one on one, and then like, you know, he starts to come around a little bit more. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, and it makes so much sense. I, I mean, what else would you do? But I thought the one thing uh, off of that, would you have, like, they showed him, like, in the stands at games. Would you want that? I wouldn't if I were, like, Pippen or anybody else on the team. I would not. No, probably not. But I don't know. I, like, I don't think there's any way they could control or do anything about that. No, oh, but obviously. I know, I know what just, you mean. I know what you mean. I wouldn't like it. I I would have to tolerate it, but I wouldn't like it. I think it's just hard to, like, separate all the stuff he did for those guys. And then, like, it's different because some of the guys weren't on all those, like, three finals teams. But, like, if you're Pippen, I don't know. I think you put up. Like, it's your friend. It's, like, your friend who helped carry your team to all those titles. Like, yeah, let him hang out in the stands. And he was, like, friends with B.J. Armstrong. He's friends with a lot of these guys. Yeah, he gave them a lot of shit. But, like, when you listen to their quotes, they're not they're not making this stuff up. They love the guy. They respect the guy. He gave he gave him he gave him a lot of grief, but did a lot for him. But if I was like Kerr or someone new, I would I would especially not like it. I feel like, and and that's probably where the the tension came from when when Jordan walked back in. But you know what? As soon as as soon as you get to like that fifth game and he puts up fifty five and like just absolutely owns John Starks and the Knicks, it's like all right, fine, like do whatever you want. You're Michael Jordan again. Like what am I supposed to say if I'm Steve Kerr or Jed Bushler? I feel so bad for John Starks because he's, like, the poster child of, like, guys who got worked by Jordan, like, the most. But I just feel it's because it's just because the Knicks and Bulls had so many prominent games. But John Starks, John Starks gave it his all. John Starks everyone did, did. Like, how about Dennis Johnson in, what is it, 86 when he put 63 up on the Celtics? And Dennis Johnson, his legacy is, like, one of the best defenders in NBA history. <laughs> and he got worked for 60 by Jordan sometimes. And then so I think the, in, I think you live in, with it. Like in whatever. the inverse, George Carl deciding to not put Gary Payton on Jordan until Game Five or four, four. Yeah, and maybe that does seem like such an easy decision. I don't know. I think the way I think the way Gary Payton couched it, where he was like, Carl said, "I didn't want to." It, it's like a, a logical decision. You don't want to burn out Payton on defense, guarding the best player, because when you're Seattle, you don't have a ton of guys to put up offense. Like, who do they have on that team besides Kent? Like, Detlef Shrimp? Yeah. 
Shrimp. I don't even know how to say his name. My nine. It's like a PF. It's a PF at the end, I believe. Shrimp. Okay, but like the point is, you need Peyton on offense, so you don't want to wear him out. And it's not like he did hold Jordan to like pretty low shooting percentages, but Jordan was always going to get his points. So I don't know. I don't. I don't really blame. Did that game go? Didn't that series go to six? Yeah. Because Seattle wins a couple in a row. I don't think they finished it. Did they finish it in the last episode? Yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, they absolutely did. It was 96, because the, the signature shot of the episode is Jordan laying on the floor crying, dedicated the win to his dad, the whole thing. Oh, on Father's Day. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so they idiot. do beat them. But going back to the George Carl thing, another thing that comes up a lot, and this is where we can talk about that MJ switch, Um, kind of one of the central things is that Jordan just takes the tiniest things, and then when he talks about him, he says, and maybe this is like a narrative thing versus I don't really know what, what actually happened. You can't really know. Jordan was just amazing. But something like George Carl didn't shake his hand. So then he's like, I remember that forever. And then I went out and I kicked their ass next game. At or dinner? Nick Anderson, right, at dinner. Yeah. Oh, well, Nick, um, go ahead. He went, he, was on, uh, he went on SVP after, and he confirmed that that happened. No, I believe it happened. Like, so, like some of the other things... Like, maybe, I forget, what was the one that didn't actually happen? I don't know. Um, was it, the, it might have been the BJ Armstrong thing, where it's like, oh, 45, number 45 is no number 23. There was like a couple moments like that. Or maybe it was Nick Anderson. That was but Nick someone, Anderson. Okay, so there was some kind of trash talk that Jordan's like, yeah, I made that up. And like, he would say things sometimes to get him, like, to self-motivate, and then just to go out and murder people. with On the basketball court, to be clear. So, like... That self-motivation thing, how much of that do you think is real and how much of that is just like, he's a baller, that switch is always on, and yeah, come up with some fancy story if you want. I mean, you can say whatever you want about it. Like, you could, he could, like, whatever he needs to get there, he's going to get there. Like, he didn't need that all the time, but sometimes that's what he needed. Like, some other days he just had it. Like, there's just, but like, during the playoffs, like, that intensity is going to heighten up. Like, you're, you're going to, be extra competitive, like just super serious. It's it's go time, like whatever you need to get to that place to put up thirty seven a game or more. And he did it. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like it, it, it feels authentic to who he is when you see hours and hours of the competitive nature and him caring so much about beating security guards and quarters and taking ten bucks from John Paxson. Like he, he cares deeply about winning things, and if he has to come up with something in his head to help him win. That's that's a skill. <laughs> I mean, however weird you think it is, um, or extreme you think it is, it's it's what makes Michael Jordan Michael Jordan. And you you get to see more of that in these episodes. Speaking of uh, playing security guards in quarters, how drawn were you to the to the guy every time he came on the screen and his Jerry curl? It was nice to see him, like an old friend. I wasn't looking at Jordan when uh, during those shots. Not once, not now. Random uh, player I haven't heard from yet that I'd like to see now. I've asked for Judd Bushler. I've gotten him. I've asked for Tony Kukoc. I've gotten him. Where is Luke Longley? I, I don't know who that is, to be honest. He was a center on one of the uh, starting center on the like ninety seven and ninety eight teams. Okay. Wennington well, was always you, like the backup. You'll get him in these last two episodes, probably. Hopefully. They teased they teased the ninety eight Eastern Conference Finals before we. He's a. S- Seven foot Australian guy played for the Knicks after the Bulls. Not that good. Uh, all I really know about him, besides when I've played with those Jordan teams in two K, is uh, this is a bunch of years ago. Um, 
part of All Star Weekend, the NBA had an all did an all time draft with six six uh, GMs. I put in air quotes that were drafting a bunch of like their all time teams. And Steve Kerr named his team the Luke Longley Express. Okay. And he was like, when they all talked about their team names at the beginning, he was like, obviously my team uh, puts forth a uh, an, an aura of hard work and winning and speed. And he's this big, slow white guy. It's pretty funny. Steve Kerr, funny guy. Also, I was just going to say also that that all-time draft is nonsense. Just utter nonsense because Charles Barkley has the first pick and takes Allen Iverson. Philly guy. But like Bark- Barkley loves AI. But he just goes, you need a point guard to start. But it's like, it's like, come on, you take like, and this was like a very pre, like, I don't know, like LeBron was like early heat LeBron. So it wasn't like the argument wasn't where it was now. So it was like, clearly you take Jordan first and it was nonsense. And then Kevin McHale was second. So, and he was doing an all Celtics thing just to prove a point, I guess. So he takes Larry Bird. And then I just remember Reggie Miller was third and he's just looking around like, are you guys serious? How did this, I, this, I did not plan for this. Sometimes I love Reggie Miller. I'm not, I don't, I I think I liked him as a broadcaster more before, but I, I, I liked him then. I think he's good. I think he's good overall. Did you have any favorite shots, any favorite camera shots or moments from this episode? The one that comes to mind for me is MJ in 98 with the baseball bat and the cigar chilling in the locker. That was also one of my sneaker shots of the night. Uh, it's a great just him foot up of the Jordan 13. It was hot. And how about the other foot up shot with a nice Jordan 10? I think oh, you Scotty? wrote this in your notes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. That's very cool. And I, one of the coolest things about the Jordan 10 that I am a little ashamed I didn't bring up when I uh, did my rankings last week is that on the bottom of the sole, it lists off all Jordan's accomplishments. And I came to the conclusion that I think those are the Jordans I had in like sixth grade. I mentioned this to you. I don't remember if it was all fair or, or on the podcast. I think podcast. you texted me about it. Yeah, because I remember I had a pair that had they had writing on the bottom. They had that look to them, but I couldn't remember if they were tens or if they were some other kind of addition. But I'm ninety nine percent sure. That's cool. Those are dope. And I was, you know, in a suburban team of all white kids. I was like the tenth man. Oh, you were hooping in them. Oh yeah, I would, yeah. They were my basketball shoes. Yeah. Sick. Only only pair of Jordans I ever wore. I was like almost a straight Kobe guy after that. I didn't like Kobe's. I always 11, got eleven year old me just wanted to try I, out some Jordans, you know. I uh my my uh I always got uh, LeBron Zoom soldiers because they were like the cheaper LeBrons. Those were kind of nice. Oh, they were sick. They always had like a strap or a zipper or something. The one I always remember is the Ohio State pair that like Aaron Kraft and Odin and those guys had. And there were a few different kinds because LeBron would just keep giving them to Ohio State. Those that bucks. exact pair, like the LeBron, or like the LeBron twos. There's an Ohio State LeBron two. Uh, that's like you can get a pair of stadium goods for like two or three thousand dollars. No way, because there were some kids when I was in. I don't know how old I would have been when those came out, but like kids on my high school team because my high school colors were identical to Ohio State's. So like there were a couple of kids that had those LeBrons, and I was like, wow, those are sick. Yeah, loved them. They had the O on the on the tongue. Yes. Sick. Yeah. Yeah, those things were awesome. What did you make of just the emotion you saw out of Jordan in this one? I know some of it was tied to his dad, and you don't need to like be long on this, but like the one that this really stood out to me, like first at the end of episode seven, he's self-reflective, and he's he basically like tears come to his eyes talking about how how hard he worked all the time and like 
trying to explain like why he worked as hard as he did. And I don't know that really the words came out that well. Like I understood it that well. I think it was just like the emotion of it, like sat with me a little bit, like, okay, like maybe I, maybe you don't understand this guy, but like, this is what he's about. Like he's about winning. He's about competition. It's so singular and it brings him to that much emotion. And there's another where his personal trainer literally comes to tears in an interview because after MJ's eliminated in 95 by the Magic, the trainer calls him and is like, hey, Mike, uh, you know, get get rested up. He was just coming come back from baseball. He wasn't in that great shape, needed some time off. And he says, he says, no, nah, man, I'll see you tomorrow. Like he's going to work out the day after he's eliminated. And that made the trainer cry. So it's more about this work ethic and just like the want to that Jordan had. And he gets emotional thinking about it a couple times. I mean, I thought it was cool. Like, I I didn't think that Jordan crying would ever be in the doc. Like, that's something that's super surprised that even happened to me. And right. kind of even surprising that he would allow it in the doc. But I was surprised. I enjoyed, like, seeing that side of him because it, it was something you'd never get. Like, never, ever. And you rarely see athletes cry like that in general. Especially those people at the very top. Like, I mean, the only one that sticks out to me is Ray Lewis crying, like, in every, before every playoff game in his last season when they won the Super Bowl. But I'm not going to compare that. This was much more profound. Yes, and I think through eight episodes, you kind of see, like, you've seen it, like, build up a little bit. You see the moments where he's more emotional, and you see where this competitiveness and this drive and this singular focus he has comes out on camera and, and him being reflective. And, and the thing that I appreciate the most out of it, and like I think what I was looking for coming into this, is just the fact that he's not, he's not like a fake tough guy. He's not like a fake work ethic guy. He has this line that stood out to me so much where it's like, no matter what you wanted to say about Jordan, like as a teammate, um, as a guy in the locker room, he never asked me to do something that he didn't do himself. And like that line really stood out to me a lot. And he's not, a, he's not a fake tough guy. He's not a guy who would be in 2020 on Instagram showing you how much he's working out. And, and some of that's a little overblown that guys do that in, today to get their brand up or whatever. But he's just not that. He's just not a fake tough guy. Every clip you see, and to some extent he knows that like film crews are there behind the scenes. But like when you see sprints and he's way out in front on the sprints, like as someone who played organized sports in middle school and high school... You knew who the guys were who were actually leading the sprints every time, who were running hard for two hours or three hours in practice every time, and it's apparent that that was always him. So if nothing else, through eight episodes of this, I appreciate that he's not hes not a fake tough guy. He really worked at this. He really cared about it, and I think you see it. I mean, you don't get to where he did without it. Like, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to get there, like, if you don't have exactly what he had. It is the takeaway from these ten episodes that that it's authentic. It's it's the stuff. It's the stuff that like you can't describe like that it factor, the drive, all that stuff. Whatever word you come up with, that's it. He has it. You could call it Michael's secret stuff. As I transitioned into mentioning that, I never even considered that Space Jam would be acknowledged in this. Great! I forgot to bring that up. That's a good point. I didn't think so either. Like it, it, it hit me, and I was like, whoa. I was amazed, and I was really cool. It was sick. Like, the whole thing, seeing the movie get made, seeing him get guarded by four green screen defenders, all that was just, it was really cool, because I'd never seen, like, behind-the-scenes stuff of Space Jam, and I love that movie. And 
I wish they had mentioned more about the fact that Jerry Krause and the bad guy, the leader of the aliens, was are the same person. Yeah, take it easy on Jerry Krause. I feel like he deserved a five-minute break. I gave Jerry Krause a huge shout-out for being a good GM earlier today. So, back off. Good on you. But even cooler, I didn't realize I didn't realize that Warner Brothers built him a uh, – I didn't realize that Warner Brothers built him a, a whole complex, including a workout facility and a basketball court, and that uh, th- they had the pre-Drew League. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Did you – do you put those runs on – obviously, they're not on the Monte Carlo level – but like when I saw it, I was like, oh, I kind of like these more. I kind of like the Warner Bros. runs more than the Monte Carlo runs. Well, it's deeper. I mean, it, you got a wider array of players, so it's kind of cooler. But I mean, the dream, I, Monte Carlo game, I, the Monte Carlo game to special me, I think it's special, special place because it's it's sort of known as the greatest game it's ever seen. But also, it did lose some luster for me knowing that Christian Leitner actually played in it. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like it, it's kind of dropped like a 15 percent because of that. But. I enjoyed it. Good. I enjoyed that footage. It was cool. It was. It, it reminded me of like the Drew League in the summer. What are you looking for out of episode nine and ten? Unless you got anything else on these. Uh, I could do the run through the notes for some fu- for some quick fun stuff. Do it. Oh, um, so right when uh, Jordan retires, that's the uh, the bowl. The first of the bowl seasons without Jordan is Tony Kukoc's first season. And in his introductory press conference, Jerry Krause says, people are going to want to be like Tony. And I was just like, why would you say that? Like, I know that that's your thing of like, as you've established that that's his brand of being terrible in the media moments. But you, but sometimes it's very clear that you're trying to undermine these people. And like, just stop. Fair enough. I didn't realize that uh, Jordan uh, didn't announce that he wasn't coming back until so late in the year. I mean, it makes sense with everything that happened with in, concerning his father and everything. But I didn't yeah, I know. think they were 34 and 31 or something when he comes back or when he's thinking about it. No, I meant when he left. When oh, he when retired. he retired. Like, like, he didn't, like, retire like, officially until, like, late August or September. Yeah, right, you're right. Uh, did you recognize Steve Jaffe throwing the tip? Did not. That was cool. Did you notice that one cool dunk that Bill Wennington had? I remember it. Can't picture it in my head, but I know what happened. He went, like, under and around. Okay. Shouts to Bill. Uh, did you did you enjoy that, that half second shot of Pippen and Krauss dancing on the private jet or on the team plane? Yes, that was great. Very much. Any anything any Krauss dance moves, we are here for. BJ Armstrong should have known better than to provoke Michael. Fair. Good for BJ getting as much play as he did in this doc. For sure. BJ Armstrong, a, a, a solid NBA player for I, a I, better I part of a decade. I thoroughly enjoyed. I thoroughly enjoyed the Hornets moments. Oh sure. You saw a, gl- you saw a glimpse of Del Curry. Yeah, I didn't realize that Alonzo Mourning was gone from that team by then. I guess he was in Miami. Yeah, must have been. No, they had some players. Yeah, and I guess Larry Johnson was on the Knicks by then or just not there. I don't realize. Or was he hurt? Muggsy Bogues, I didn't see either. I guess those teams were earlier. That was like the early 90s. Didn't realize that didn't, la- didn't last very long. Divac was on that team. Yeah, you know how he got to Charlotte? Kobe? Yes. Kobe trade? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh... Glenn Rice, also on that team. Glenn Rice Glenn Rice was one of those all-stars, right, in 98? Yes. Yes. Okay. Also, yes. Was he too fat to be wearing an NBA fit shirt? You know, I think they all must have just had to – maybe they were told to wear NBA logo type stuff. Because uh, Horace Grant had one that was a little tight as well. But I think he works for the NBA. He might actually. Could or if be. you're going to wear a polo, I might believe that you do. 
I like Pippin. I like Pippin's shirt the best. If we're talking about shirts that weren't just a nice pink Nike golf shirt, top button. I love the idea of a top button. Oh, and finally, uh, the legalized Kemp sign. Oh yeah, I wrote that down too. That's the most Seattle thing I've ever seen. That and Starbucks legalized Kemp as Seattle as Starbucks. Another great joke by Connor. Put it on the board. Well, uh, so we're gonna take our break. And uh, Connor, it was a special. So we got some really hardworking people in our ads department. We got something really cool for, for our mid our mid po- our mid pod episode for mid pod advertisement this week. You great. know what it is? Can't wait to hear it. It's uh wow. Carol Baskin has decided Carol. to become a partner. Has decided to come up, become a partner with the pod, and they're unveiling a new product. So here we are. Thank you, Carol, for everything that you do. Uh, I'm only going to say nice things because I'm terrified of you. But thanks for joining. Thanks for joining the team. Hey, all you cool kids and kittens. Is your little feline king of your jungle? Tired of feeding him like a tiger in confinement? Well, then Puma Donna is the only cat food that deserves your attention and your money. Ground up by our devoted volunteers right in the beautiful sanctuary here at the Big Cat Rescue, our all-natural formula is a special blend of locally sourced meat, revenge, and our secret ingredient. Yep, you guessed it, sardine oil. Man, do they love that stuff. Furry over to our website and place your order right meow while supplies last. Puma Donna, here today, Don tomorrow. Well, I'd also like to thank uh, our newest member of the ad sales team, Amanda Dworkin, for all of her hard work with uh, handling Carol throughout these interesting negotiations and such. Again, we always have, we have a very hardworking ads team. We always want yeah, to thank the hiring situation's tricky during a quarantine, but you know we're we're bringing in smart people. So if you have good ideas, hit us up on Instagram and Twitter, MN Hornick, and at Connor Wine. That's Connor with two N's. Wine spelled W E I N. And again, don't forget to rate, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Five stars only, please. Horn, let's get to some listen to your heart, huh? Yeah. Uh, big big surprise this week. Yes. Yeah. I, Ryan I did Natasha, not. See you later. Yeah. I mean, I guess our prediction was third place, so fourth place isn't that off. But wow, good for good for Jamie and Trevor that they totally fucking blew it. Yeah, Ryan and Natasha. This is just there's no one to blame but themselves. I think. Yeah. Like, who I do you think more to blame? This... I guess we'll get right into it. Yeah. Who? Uh, ask me. Who? Who do you think is more to blame? Oh, between Ryan and Natasha. Yeah. Hmm. Well, on this particular performance, we learned that Natasha, like, messed up her part, which when I watched the performance, I just thought, like, we knew they were going to remix this already remixed song. It was, they got assigned the song Ed Sheeran. I mean, that's a person. They got assigned the song Perfect by Ed Sheeran, but I think it was, like, the Beyonce remix. And then they were going to remix it again. To which I say, the song's called Perfect. This isn't hard. Just do the song. Everyone likes it. It's like a beautifully written love song. So just sing it. You're both good singers. But this is the thing that I I knew was going to come back to bite them. Not to toot my own horn horn, but (laughs) I feel like my reads on Natasha and Ryan and Matt and Rudy have been perfectly accurate, for lack of a better word. Like Natasha and Ryan, I've been saying like they're pretty good singers, but I think they I think they overperform. And in overperforming and in you know, hear me out here, give it a second. In overperforming 
they end up underperforming. And when I say overperforming, that's a bar. By overperforming, I mean they do too many dance moves and they get all weird and like touchy and like for that Ray LaMontagne song a couple episodes ago, like yeah, like I don't know, boogie like a little bit, but it's not natural and I think it takes away from their actual singing. And in this case, like the first twenty seconds of the song they were doing was awesome. I was like, all right, this is good. Like they were a little weird and they were like like but it was it, it resonated how close they were and it was like emotional the first 10 seconds and then they go into this weird thing he starts playing guitar she does the wrong part and it was it was just a mess and it was an unforced error if you play tennis you call this an unforced error and matthew has his hand raised and matt go ahead quick question yes or no do you buy in on their love now i don't i never have um i i it was a little surprising to me i think when they got sent home there's you hear ryan say something like i think i found it was like, I think I found someone I'd love to spend time what with. What part of quick yes or no are we not working with here, fella? Oh, no. The answer is no. Anywho, I, w- I rewatched just their performance uh, right before we started recording. Uh, shouts to Hulu for not letting you fast forward, or at least I wasn't able to because I have the cheap version of Hulu. So I had to actually start playing the episode on mute on my TV two hours ago. Oh, no. Or two hours prior so that I could get to the end of the show where their performance is. You know, if you were a savvy young adult, you would just have gone to YouTube. But there's this great account I found last night, Quick Sidebar, because I watched this with my sisters live. First one I've watched live of the whole season. Um, I watched with my sisters, and they, Mora had only seen the first two episodes. Kate had seen none. So after the episode, we went on YouTube, and we found every musical performance and watched them all. I think the, the lady's name's Anne-Marie TV or something. Tell me what your mom said. When she- my mom sat down for a few minutes, and she was like, I'm not watching this meat market bullshit. And then it's funny, by the time they were singing, she came back and she was into it. So She didn't like the idea of forcing people on a TV show to date. She doesn't like the Bachelor franchise. Back to what I was saying. I did watch it right before we started recording. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say that it's completely Ryan's fault because it was his idea to fuck with the arrangement and get all funky with it. And he decided I don't to... Know if that's true. Well, it was his it was his original idea, or at least the way that they edited it. They make it sound like it was his idea, okay. and uh, he and I'm gonna assume that he suggested all of these because they had like two weird musical interludes. One at the beginning, after the first twenty seconds, you said you liked, and I agree that was very good. Then they like the like the band opens up. Ryan grabs the guitar, and Ryan tries to play the guitar while also holding the mic in his hand with the hand that he strums with, and that was a bizarre move. And then there were moments where she passed him the mic. Yeah, it was all. Made very little sense. And then, yeah, that was another problem. Is Natasha was having, like, all kinds of, like, weird mic adjustment issues for Ryan. It was very not smooth. And then right when I realized what happened was, uh, so the musical interlude was going on too long. And then Ryan's, like, looking at her, like, trying to just look like he's grooving along. But he's like, hey, that's your cue. And then from there, uh, Natasha just is like, oh, shit. And then starts singing the wrong part. And everyone in the band kind of stops. Like, they show the drummer stopping and another musician in the band stopping. So then everyone kind of got thrown. And then that just fucked everything. And then there was, like, a second musical interlude. Like, we're just, like, Ryan's playing the guitar again, like, later in the song. And it just seemed like Natasha just seemed, like, really rattled at that point. It just seemed like everyone was kind of lost and out. Like, they just were – no one was on the same page. And, like, the band and them. And it was bad. It was just a true dumpster fire. That. Yeah, so coming in, we were all pretty sure Jamie and Trevor were going to be the next to go home. But Ryan and Natasha, they botched this. Uh, my last 
thing on them. They remind me of Ryan and Sharpay from High School Musical. And I'll keep hammering home this overperforming thing. Like, have you ever seen High School Musical? Like, Ryan you know and Sharpay. What the hell, Hornick? You haven't? You know that. You should. Oh, I thought you caught up by now. It's It's been two months with nothing to do. Okay. So, all the rest of our listeners have obviously seen High School Musical because they're humans. So Ryan and Sharpay always take some song, and then Sharpay's like, oh, let's do this like weird dance with it, and let's make it poppy and we'll have fun. And they, they, I mean, they're fine, but Ryan and Tasha did not need to mess with a song called Perfect, a beautifully written song by Ed Sheeran with Beyonce, the goat. And they messed it up and see you later. And Unforced Air, good on Jamie and Trevor for being good enough that they weren't worse. And the other thing I wanted to say on the reads that I got right was on Matt and Rudy. Because like when when I've been ranking these musical performances, I've put them right up there every time. And well, they're I killer. Think, I think they're just solid and they're they're solid and the only thing that was gonna maybe hurt them was if Matt was like if he like left when they decided they weren't when he also when he wasn't in love with her when she said she was falling in love with him on the whatever date that was. So they weren't exactly on the same page, but after they killed it singing shallow, it seemed like Matt came around. Sometimes music can do that. Well, uh, I completely agree. I, now that with Natasha gone, I think Rudy's the most talented person left. She's killer. Like the, when She's she started singing that ridiculously song, ridiculously I mean, talented. And then when me and my sisters went back and watched all of them, every time she was singing a song, it was like, okay, she's the best one here. I'm trying to find Matt's awful quote. Oh, yeah, I was just gonna say Matt's uh, when you said Rudy mentioned that uh, Rudy, Rudy told Matt she she was starting to fall fall in love with him. Was that what she said? That, falling for him. Was that him? after the falling in love with the classic Bachelor? The step. Step one A. I believe that was after. Did they have a date? It was the Shaggy concert thing. Yes, we can get into that as well. <laughs> Where Matt goes, I grew up on Shaggy. <laughs> what? No, you didn't. But Ryan just Ryan's response to Rudy saying that was just so devastating. You're very courageous for speaking your truth. Yeah, it was all. It was all just so. Oh, man, it was so uncomfortable. Just not a good one. Anything on Chris and Bree? There's got to be something, because I thought they were going to get married. Can we go back to Shaggy first real quick? Yeah, yeah, I always I always get you before you're done. Well, I'm, I'm trying to have some sort of some sort of organization to this, because we're already all over the place. Love Shaggy. I mean, I love that, but isn't it ridiculous that they chose an artist who's to perform his biggest hit song, which is just blatantly about cheating? It's a good point that I had not considered. Hey, that's why. Because I don't know if I'm they here. think that deeply about these things. I mean, I would hope they do, considering that... On the on the inverse, they make sure that they're all performing love songs every week. I mean, no, they they don't think that deeply. Didn't they have what's his face? What was the guy's name? Chase Rice in the last season, who had dated Victoria F. and they didn't know it somehow. But that's but but they wouldn't they would c- continue with that for the drama. Okay, yeah, they wouldn't undo I don't know. that. Shaggy was a was an interesting get. I don't know how many people would have thought like like you would have been like, oh my god, they got a guy who thinks it has sings a song about cheating. I don't think anyone thought that. I think most people were like, oh, Shaggy. That's I don't know. I just feel like it's because the song's like just so blatantly about cheating. It wasn't me. I'll just tell you I didn't believe Matt for a second when he was like, oh, I love Shaggy. <laughs> I feel like that's the second time he's had to do that because he took Mel on that Plain White Tees, to the Plain White Tees concert in the first episode. Well, I mean, it's another, it is another classic Bachelor formula where they're like, oh my God, I can't believe we got to see Tennille Arts. And it's like some band that they've never heard of or they hate. Like, oh my god, we're so lucky. And the producer's like, Tennille Arts. And you're like, I love uh, Tennille Arts. And they just have to like say whatever it is. 
So you want to talk about Kristen Briga almost getting married? Sure. Also, just to quickly, the music performances, and then I'll go back to that. I like that the producers just put Chris and Brie first because they're the best every time. And they just get, you know, they, they hit me right in the heart every time. I enjoy them. She's a hell of a singer. He's a good supporter. I mean, he's a good singer too, but he doesn't, I feel like most of the songs showcase her way more than they do him. Um, but, you know, I enjoy them. And I feel like Chris is super humble they, like that. Yeah, yeah, I think he is. But the wedding thing was cool. Um, a good tease by them. It was kind of mindless of me, I guess, to think they were actually going to get married. But when they show up and it's them singing at another person's wedding at the Little White Chapel in Las Vegas. Um, the I feel cool, like we should have known little better. Tidbit, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I was extra mindless about this one that it caught me that much by surprise. But I, I was pleasantly... And even though I didn't see the promo and the promo that promo from last week was revealed to you, me by you on this pod last week, uh, I even should have known then. Like, that's not what's going to happen, but... I guess that's how souls we are on their love. You never know with this show. You also learned a little about Chris that apparently his best friend from college died on the same day as his dad. That's fucked. So tragedy just all over the place for that guy. They see they're a good match though. I'm glad I'm I'm very glad they did not get married. Oh, of course. Like that's that's a Would bottom have been a terrible five move. move. Bottom one move. Which the crazy thing that happened all episode that T Mobile and Sprint had a commercial where they announced they're joining. Is that what that said? I was pretty groundbreaking. I didn't even know that that's what that said. I watched the T-Mobile commercial because the background was some Niall Horan song. Might have been a different one, but there was one where apparently T-Mobile and Sprint are joining, and that's kind of crazy. I feel like that's breaking some anti- antitrust law. Yeah, it's never good. Government's got to get its stuff together. But back to the show, I mean, how cool was it that they got to take, I mean, it wasn't like they were actually on tour, but they had to take tour buses to Vegas. They seem kind of nice. Pretty cool. If you were a touring musician, what are uh, three amenities you would want in your tour bus? See, uh, you know me. I'm boring as shit. Oh, wait. So amenities, so we're, we're assuming it has a bed and a bathroom. and Well, I mean, you could like, has. and you could have like any sort of customization to those or anything that somebody might not think I'd of. Wanna, I'd want a TV. I feel like that's I'd a given. I feel like, like that's a, a given. Okay, a nice TV. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Come on! I don't know. I don't, you're gone, I don't you're on tour things. for months. You're going on tour across for the country months. all summer. Unlimited supply of diet coke cans. You gotta um, think bigger, guy. I mean, I don't ask for much. What are, What are you like? What would you want? I I don't know. Give me like a nice bed, some nice blankets, a toilet. You know, these are things that are like literally like come on the tour bus. It's like part of the tour bus. It's the whole point. It's literally an RV. I don't know. I don't do much during the course of a day. What do you want on your tour bus? I mean, you can't just shit on me for four minutes and then have nothing cool. I had cool ideas and then I totally forgot them. And they actually weren't that cool. So I, now that I think about it, it's just like an RV. Well, that's, that's disappointing for everyone. Yeah, I guess we, we should probably edit that segment out. What would you think? That, like, what would you think they would have on there? Like like lights? Like a disco ball? Well, I mean, not like, you, not like for, for them, but like if you were like the big time. Like if you were in like Aerosmith in the eighties, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I just can't think of what the accessories would be to be honest. Yeah, well, this is this is a box. Like set. a deer, like a deer head on the wall. Like I don't know what you're doing here. I was thinking like I was feeling like I keep my mind keeps going to hot tub, but you can't fit a hot tub. Like on a, a sick school. oh a hot tub. Okay, see now that I'd be into. But you can't fit a hot tub on a tour bus. Yeah, I don't know. So we're gonna edit this whole segment out because that was really fucking terrible. 
you know what? I think I think we keep it in. We're only at an hour six here. Um, I really don't have much more on this episode at all. Uh, what else did I write down? The only thing there's, I feel like there was a theme, and this might come off as sexist. I don't know, but maybe this will be the thing you edit out. I felt like the guys just weren't on the girls' level in terms of the relationship, other than Chris and Bree. Like in every instance, and Natasha, I kind of believed her more the way she was talking about their relationship this time. Right at the beginning, she's talking about like maybe this tour bus and this trip to Vegas can help us connect more. And I believed her. I believed her that she was feeling more connected to him. It, it felt like romantically. Maybe it was just musically, but I believed her. Even, but like I still don't think they're a match, but I, it felt sincere coming from her. And I don't know that it was going back the other way that much, but maybe I'm just... Ryan called her the light of his life. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I just can't read him well. Like, I don't know if that was just a line or if he actually felt it. Matt clearly didn't feel it. Trevor clearly didn't feel it. And Jamie's all over the place. Because she, like, said she was falling in love. And then he was like, I take the word love very seriously. I've only said it to two people. But and then he she said took it. that to mean... Did he? Yeah. He said he was falling in love with her, too? Yeah. Because then she got oh. really excited and they kissed. Oh, yeah, but... Okay, but the way he said it... Oh, that's when they were standing up. And he was on the ice, yeah. or something. I don't know. I didn't buy it. He said that to girls plenty of times. Probably has. But but I think it was more. But but I mean, when you look at the two of them, it was much more coming from her side than his. If you ask me. But again, maybe I'm just sexist. So what's the uh, so what's the backstory of that couple that got married, that Chris and Bree performed for? What's their story? Well, their story is they'd been saving up their retirement money. And yeah, maybe you don't get married when you're retired. I don't. Maybe that's a little off on my part to start here. But they they took a trip out west. Three thousand dollars in their pocket. Stayed at Treasure Island. Spent a lot of time at the tables. He had a really good day at the roulette table. His name's Rick, and he decided that he was a big fan of the movie Hangover. And I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. A couple legendary movies that were probably out of his, you know out of his age range for being a huge fan of them. But I digress. And he saw The Little White Chapel, which is featured in both of those movies. Someone's going to fact check me on that. And so he wanted to go to The Little White Chapel. And, you know, Rhonda, being the great lady that she is, I mean, this trip was her idea in the first place. So, obviously, she'll go along with it. And, you know, then they see this young-looking guy, about 27 years old. They weren't sure what his deal was. He had some weird shades on. He introduces himself as a producer for this show, Bachelor, Listen to Your Heart. And he says, you know, we have a couple, We have some people in Vegas who are trying to fall in love. They're pretty good singers. And, you know, I just heard um, that you guys are getting married at the Little White Chapel. I talked to the person at the chapel, and they said you're getting married, so I, I have a, a couple to sing for you. And, you know, then Chris and Bree show up, and... Chris and Bree, Rick and Rhonda, they hit it off. I think Chris and Bree saw that love, and Bree said, I, I think we can do this one day. I think this could be us. And just seeing love in the air and that dry Vegas heat, you know, after a nice couple wins, a lot of money on Black. That's what Rick had. Um, and Black was hitting all afternoon for him. And you know that brought them to the Little White Chapel, and here we are. A, a beautiful matrimony. And and how about the woman who married them? Lovely lady as well. I forget her name, but that's the story there. And 
I was happy to see it. That's beautiful. That's great. Wow. You didn't. You, I. I don't, you didn't think there was anything alarming about people who get married to that kind of chapel. Well, it's it's people like Rick and Rhonda. They they're out there. You take a little trip for love, and you know where you're going. You know it's Vegas. I mean, they've seen Full House. They've seen The Hangover. They've seen, I now pronounce it Chuck and Larry. People eloped to Vegas, and Rick and Rhonda did it. And uh, best of wishes to them. Hope they have a long, healthy, and happy marriage. Do you think it was a little much the way uh, Jamie and Trevor were positioned to start their performance? I did, yes. Um, I wrote it somewhere. But yeah, no, it made me super uncomfortable. Have you seen A Star is Born? Yeah, I have. I haven't. Dude, A Star is Born and High School Musical are... I mean, A Star is Born is... It's good. Like, I don't think it's an amazing movie. Like, it's very long. It gets very depressing at the end. It's like, first hour, 14 minutes, though, there's not many better movies. High School Musical... High School Musical, I just, like... I'm fed up that you haven't seen that. I uh, I feel like this is this is where I'm going to get fucking roasted. But my, my reasoning for that is just that, like... I both remember as a kid and when I saw, like, the trailer for A Star Wars, when I was just like, I saw these, and I was like, I don't... No, I don't need it. And I went on with my life. Yeah, you, you know, you're counterculture. That's... Is Trevor a shitty name? I wouldn't want it. Wouldn't want that to be my name. Yeah, me neither. Is it how is this how, is Hornick going through his notes, by the way, for the listeners, picking his questions. You could have just left it as a nice lightning round, but instead Alright, you'll cut this part out, go ahead. You got a lot of cutting out to do this episode. Yeah, not our best. I'll be back in the saddle next week. I'm sorry. What uh what about Ashley Simpson? What was the last time you thought about Ashley Simpson? Because for me it had been a very um, long while. Thinking about Ashley Simpson for me means thinking about Jessica Simpson. And I think when I saw her face, it was like Kate was next to me and my sister Kate's 14, maybe 15 now, but she doesn't know who Ashley Simpson is. She wouldn't. And she didn't really know who Jessica Simpson is, but I was trying to tell her like, there's another, there's some kind of lovey-dovey show on Netflix that Nick Lachey is a part of. And I know he used to date Jessica Simpson or was married to her. Yeah. Don't quote me or correct me, whatever. Um, but I thought of Jessica Simpson. I thought of Nick Lachey. And I did. I don't know. The last time I thought Ashley Simpson must have been two thousand six. Yeah, I listened to pieces. She had of some me. radio hit on. Now that's what I call for. Yeah, the pieces of me. I listened to it a, a while ago, just to be. I didn't remember most of it. It Was very unfamiliar until like halfway through the chorus. I was happy to see her. She and her husband look happy. Apparently, her husband or partner, or boyfriend, or whatever, is related to Diana Ross. My other sister told me that. That's cool. Maybe is Diana Ross's son or grandson? I don't know. Again, we'll get research on this, and all, all of our listeners can fact check us. Yeah. Uh, did you re- did you realize who that guy was this week? Um, As in the lead singer of Train, did you know who he was or his name? No, not a chance. Nope. I I knew who he was. I didn't know his name, but I recognized his face. So he was the lead singer of Train. Yes. I like a lot of Train songs. I'm not gonna lie. A really underrated one, and I hope this is by Train. Uh, Meet Virginia. You know that song. I don't think so. She smokes a pack a day. You wait, that's me. Well, anyway, it is train. I fact checked you on that. Doesn't one. know a thing about that. Hey, she thinks I'm beautiful. Something like that. Before we get to big ups this week, 
Uh, we want to discuss one other f- kind of funny topic that came up this week. I said this week twice already. But uh, earlier, I think it was just, just yesterday, or recently, uh, the NFL held a silent auction to raise money for coronavirus relief, with the grand prize being two tickets to any NFL game you wanted this season, and the opportunity to sit down with Roger Goodell in his now infamous man cave from the NFL draft and watch a Monday night football game. The winner of this auction ended up being Barstool Sports founder and president Dave Portnoy, who is at the uh, head of Barstool's ever-going war with the National Football League ever since Goodell suspended Tom Brady for Deflategate. Uh, Barstool has done things such as print t-shirts and various other merchandise uh, with Goodell's face on it wearing a clown nose. And in response to such behaviors, uh, Barstool has been rejected credentials at however many of the last Super Bowls and other, if probably any other NFL game they would want to attend as press. They've also tried to sneak in afterwards and been kicked out. Uh, So what do you make all this, Connor? Well, I make of it... I shouldn't have started a sentence with I make of it. I think think this is easy PR for Goodell, and I think he could really just earn some nice brownie points if he just takes this, invites Portnoy to his basement, accepts that this is going to happen, and plays along with it, and lets Portnoy do whatever he wants. And, you know, I, there's there's an element that, like, clearly Portnoy is going to try and do something dirty and then try and embarrass Goodell in some way. Um, because if Portnoy can't do that, then it's clearly not, it's, like, almost not worth it for him. Um, and it's, I mean, he's really rich, but I, what did he spend, $250,000, I think? To Just win this over. Thing? So my, you know, my position is I think, I think Goodell has an easy chance here to make light of a, to make light of a situation and fundraise. I've heard other stuff where, like, uh, Goodell could donate a million dollars to not have Portnoy come or, like, put some big donation. But my, yeah, my permanent stance is I think Goodell should just take this in the chest and have fun with it. Maybe he shows up. I think uh, Billy Gill said this on Levitard and, you know, how we promote other shows. It's our best trait. Um that he should wear, Goodell should be in his basement with a, his own clown, his own face uh, in the clown form on his shirt. Yeah. So I think Goodell should try and have fun with this. I think that's the best move. Well, obviously, that's what he should do, but I don't know. I, I don't see it happening. I, re- I really don't. Like, this is not someone who takes these jokes very lightly. Like, this is not the same as him, like, having fake booze play during the draft. I feel I feel like this is just a... It's a lose-lose for him, and he's frightened of that. And I feel like he's willing to take the L of not spending three hours with this man. The only thing I think about is if he does if he does what I say, and he, he allows Portnoy in, they hang out, he tries to make the best of it, Goodell here, is I, my imagination's thinking, what what's Portnoy going to do to make it funny? Because he figures out a way. So whether he's going to like go to the bathroom and then sneak off to some part of Goodell's house and do something weird. Or, I don't know, just embarrass. I don't, I don't really know. So it'll, I think it's a fun thing to follow. On the other side as well with Portnoy, you should, uh, uh, he should be as opportunistic as Goodell and be as friendly and normal and not mischievous as possible and try to begin the blossoming of a beautiful relationship between the two organizations. Well, I, th- I think that's already not happened. I think I saw a blog today, Portnoy wrote some negative thing about Goodell. I think he's just going to try and amp up the heat, 
before Goodell makes a decision. Oh, well, then he's definitely not going to do it. Or is that going to is he going to put too much pressure where he has to do it? I don't know. I know someone who's related to Roger Goodell. Fun fact, but I don't actually I don't know anything about the guy. I don't know if he has the the skin to like take these hits in person in his basement. I know one thing about Roger Goodell. I went to middle school and high school with a kid whose like mom is really good friends with Roger Goodell's wife. So this guy's met him. Apparently, Roger Goodell really likes Propel, like the flavored water. Apparently, he has pallets delivered to his house. Pallets of Propel. I can see that. I had uh, my best friend growing up had a sick, sick like playroom. First of all, but off his playroom there was a a room with like a, a mini fridge that had all the coolest drinks you could ever imagine. And there was a Propel run in there for a couple of years. I was a. Oh. I like the ras- I like the raspberry flavor. Propel was my was my sports drink, like for like most of like middle school and high school, and like rec basketball and baseball and little league and shit. Like I was a Propel fiend. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. It's good shit. Good stuff. All right, that's enough on barstool and Portnoy. Uh, what's your big ups this week? I, you had a bunch you're deciding on. Yeah, or my, do you want me to go first and let you pick? No, my big ups is to uh, the Ithaca College class of 2020. Uh, this is a fucked up time we're in. I'm sorry that you guys don't get a graduation and you've been taking Zoom classes for the past two months. Uh, I hope it gets better and that your job prospects are good enough that you don't aren't completely discouraged by the time this is over. Uh, I just want you to know that it's, it's not going to be like this forever and that it might seem bad, but you're gonna it's going to be fun. And growing up is not nearly as scary as it might seem. And congratulations on completing college. It's a hell of an accomplishment, and you guys deserve all the recognition in the world for it. Huh, that, that was nice and heartfelt. Yeah, I feel terrible for those people. Yeah, I can't We know imagine. We know some of them from, like, kids that went to Ithaca with us that were a couple years younger. And, you know, those, that, that March, that March to May run, second semester good, senior year good is Lord. Some, of the, some, of the, some of the best memories I'll ever have, so. That that absolutely sucks. I right? had so much. The, I had so much money. Like we were just such. Like I don't want to frighten my parents who were going to hear. We were such yeah. degenerates, such elite degenerates. The Snapchat memories have been off the charts the last. Couple oh of my here. goodness! Snapchat memories have been fantastic and tragic to rewatch. Between we were se- all like senior 30 week, heavier. the fact that me and a couple other goons produced a full documentary, just bullshitting, and it was almost one of the best ones in our class. Like. I have I got so many incredible memories. Circles open. Congratulations to oh actually I was gonna say congratulations to you Connor, but you won the first one. This was the second one. For those who don't know, and for those who might know Ithaca College, uh, our final two years, our friends and I, avid golfers, we would play what we called the Circles Open, which was a three-hole golf tournament around the Circle Apartments at Ithaca College. This is a small apartment complex, and it was a great time. Lots of great times. Other highlights. Shout out to. Oh, go ahead. I'm just going to say other highlights include the keg crawl, uh, the darty that we threw in our backyard, and seeing a bunch of people cry at Moonies the night before graduation. I think I think the cover photo to our podcast is from that night, to be honest. It might be. Very well might be. Yeah. Pretty sure it is. Uh, my big ups. Yeah, we love, we love Moonies. Shout out, class of 2020. You'll be all right. You can come work for us in the ad department if you really can't find a job. Um, my shout out is to blankets. Um, in May, it's been really cold in upstate New York. It's like, it was really like nice for two days and then like 
it hailed a little, it snowed a little, um, my heat in my house wasn't working for a couple days, um, and also, so I've added a few blankets to my repertoire in bed, and that's a weird sentence, I don't know why I said it, um, but the more blankets I use, the better I sleep. I don't know if that's weird or makes sense, because I've heard weighted blankets help people sleep, but, like, I'm not a sleeper, like, it's not one of my good skills, and it's one of my best adding, skills. Adding a heavy blanket to my uh, to my setup here has been instrumental. So I've had a like three or four really good night's sleeps and some crazy dreams. So shout out to blankets. How's uh, the new couch? Uh, new couch is it's pretty good. It's a couch. And before we were sitting on lawn chairs in our basement watching TV. We had we our basement got redone at my mom's house and quarantine being what it is, Raymore and Flanagan was closed for couple months so we were supposed to get this couch in march and we got it on may 7th so we had had a finished basement like a nice tv on the wall a lot of furniture when i say furniture there was like a dresser there um and we had like a side table that we had set up but no couch so we finally got a couch and things are things are humming along here i've added blankets oh and i meant to say at the beginning my podcast space is a little nicer here because i have this set up in my cramped bedroom there were like some storage bins you know those like uh, what's the brand I'm thinking of here? Rubbermaid. Rubbermaid is, is probably it. Rubbermaid, so sponsor the pod. They're about three feet by like a foot. They're like pretty big, deep bins, and there's four of them in my room. I've been using them as a standing desk, and a couple of them got taken out this weekend when we cleaned the basement out for Mother's Day, an activity we do like, I don't know, a lot, like way too often. But yeah, that resulted in me having six inches of more space here for the podcast, so I'm a little more comfortable. And um, I've slept better lately, and I hope the class of 2020 graduates sleep better as well. Use more blankets. Maybe it'll get you through these tough times. Oh, and before we sign off, um, make sure to rate five stars on the podcast. The title is so, uh, S-O, comma, space, U-H, three dots. We are now in the society and culture category. Let's ramp up those five-star ratings. Give us a review. If you hate the show, go give us that review. Um but always five stars. Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, all that. Does that actually work? Does that ch- like change subscriptions? Does it because they can't tell that it's the same person subscribing? I I don't know. 